Hello, hello, hello. This is Angela Pennyfeather, and you are listening to The Raw Collection. We are back. Season two, episode one. We're shifting a little from the luxury retailers, and we're diving into this global phenomenon of the hair care industry. We're speaking to those that have made a contribution not only to the industry, but to the culture. And today's guest is an award-winning Ghanaian American writer, playwright and and actor who most recently made her Broadway debut with the, oh, I get goosebumps when I say this name, with this brilliant play, Jaja's African Hair Braiding, taking audience into Jaja's bustling hair braiding shop in Harlem, where every day you're meeting a collected group of West African immigrant braiders that are creating masterpieces on the heads of neighborhood women. I went to go see it last night. I still have goosebumps from it. It is absolutely brilliant. We're going to speak with none other than the playwright herself, Jocelyn Bio. We're going to talk about hair. We're going to talk about the play. But yes. most importantly, welcome, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. This is a beautiful, that was a beautiful welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm really happy to be here with you. I mean, I feel like standing up at the end, like, and just giving you a round of applause because um, we're going to speak about the ending, but not giving too much away to the the listeners. Yes, yes. Like I said, I saw the show and I immediately, let's go back. I saw the show. I sat, I got there super early because I wanted to just feel it. I Uh love the authenticity, authenticity of the music, the costumes, the speech. And of course, the hair. Mm-hmm. And I thought back to the time when I went to Harlem and got my hair braided and I'm twisting in my seat. My stomach's rumbling because I'm nervous. And I'm thinking, when is she going to be done? Yeah. <laughs> Why was this story important to tell? You know, I've spent most of my life in a hair braiding shop. Uh, I, I'm born and raised in New York um, in uptown Manhattan. I grew up in Washington Heights, but I live in Harlem now. Mm-hmm. And um, I've probably been getting my hair braided since I was like four or five years old. So I uh, know a lot about hair braiding shops. I've been to uh, so many of them in my life. My One of my aunties growing up, she had a hair salon but in the Bronx, but also um, had a couple chairs for hair braiders that she would, you know, let people come in and, and get their hair braided and stuff. So I just feel like I I know a lot of these women, even if I don't know them personally, I know uh, who they are, their stories, where they come from. They all share, you know, some similarities in some of their stories in terms of how they emigrated to America. But there's also like really, you know, nuanced differences between all of them and the beauty and the complexity of who they are as people. And that's just the women who, you know, run the shops and work in the shops. Then there's also the, you know, tapestry of Black women, you know, and men, 
you know, who go into the shops to also get their hair uh, braided as well, who come in and out every day. They These people see hundreds of people in a week in, in their business. And outside of like a restaurant, you know, where you do see people coming in and out, you don't have an intimate experience with them in terms of touching someone's hair, you know, and working on their hair for hours and hours and hours. And I, I just wanted to kind of highlight them. I wanted to lift them up, put them on a pedestal, and show, you know, the world, at least via, you know, theater. And we're very blessed to be able to do this play on Broadway to highlight who these women were, highlight what these shops are, what they mean to people, uh, and and certainly highlight the beauty and creativity of like the map, you know, artistry that they right. do on people's heads every day. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. And you I saw an article where you mentioned it's like a love letter to them. Yes. Yeah. Do they know? Do they know this? Do they know about the play? Like, have you told them? And what has been their reaction? Yes, I have. I've told many people about the play. We engaged most of the hair braiding shops in Harlem even before the play uh was it started performances because we wanted them to know about the play. I, of course, have talked to my hair braiding lady about the play. <laughs> you know, and there were parts of this play that I wrote when I was sitting in a hair braiding, you know, chair when I was getting my hair done. I would bring my laptop and I'm like, oh, I want to work on a couple scenes in the play. And I would just like, you know, work on it while I was there. So she knew, she actually watched me write it, even if she didn't know what I was writing. Uh, and um, yeah, so I've definitely shared it with them. I mean, the irony about these hair braiding ladies too, that of course that we would all love for them to come and see the play is that they probably won't even be free to come see it. They work so many hours. These are like, this is like 12, 13 hour days, usually 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. If they're lucky, if they don't get a customer who comes in and needs to be there, you know, getting a style done that that will take longer than um, the shop's hours. They and and they also their money is not always guaranteed. You know, you this is a cash you know, economy, people walk in and you, if you don't go to work, you don't make any money. There's no vacation pay. There's no holiday pay. They probably outside of major holidays. And I mean, like Christmas, Thanksgiving and, you know, New Year's Day, they likely are working every day, even on long weekend holidays that most of us are going to the beach or having a barbecue, they're getting their hair, doing somebody's hair. So um, Not to cut you off, but you mentioned, well, you, you speak a lot about the women, right? And like you showed a really good example that I feel like a lot of the people in the crowd may not have known about them is how they're, what happens with their hands, what happens mm-hmm. with their fingers. You know, mm-hmm. we're so used to thinking, oh, it's just braids and this is what they do. They braid fast. But what's the repercussions that happen is that, you know, they can get blisters and that can turn into something worse. And then they're no longer working. They can no longer use those hands. And so I think we take for granted. And I, you know, I realized that even myself with thinking that, you know, you go in a shop and you're like, oh, my God, how much how long will this be? They're machines. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you touched on that. It's you have to humanize people who do this kind of work. 
you know, any sort of work where you need your hands. And I mean, there's very few jobs that you kind of don't, but any, I know what it's like for me, even as a writer, you know, when I started to develop like some like aches in my wrists and Mm -hmm. and things like that, I'm like, I don't have my hands, Mm -hmm. if I don't have my literal fingers to do my job, I what am I going to do? You know, if I could speak the plays, I don't know. Like, but I, my hands are my job, you know? And in this case, like the, the, there, it's very literal for them. If they, if they cannot braid someone's hair, they cannot make any money. And then what? Exactly. And, um, you know, so where these women are daring to dream. And in the case of Jaja, you know, she really, she really dared to dream. She was like, I'm going to open my own shop. I'm going to find a way to be a community centered woman and bring in as many people as I can help as many people as I can and make, you know, in, in this case, the best shop in Harlem that she can. And while also striving to attain her own, you know, life goals, yeah. Um, for her and her daughter, and I won't spoil, you know, the ending. <laughs> way. Um, yeah, yeah, because I think it is really important. But like that immigrant story of like how many of these women came to this country and the dreams that they have about being in this country is really universal. Yes. And um, but there's also a reality to that universality, and and I wanted to highlight that in the play as well. And you absolutely did that. I, I went with my sister-in-law who is Dominican. And mm-hmm. like you said, even if it, you know, it is universal, that feeling of that immigrant. And she had a little tear in her eye at mm-hmm. the end because it is still, you're still felt for that. You still understand that. Yeah. I want to shift a little because you know, I noticed in the audience, you had such an eclectic group, you know, whether it was different age ranges, I was sitting next to an elderly woman who, mm-hmm. and then I was sitting on the other side to um, two Caucasian women who were chuckling at, you know, some of the jokes that you can say. Um, so I love that there was just really great energy in the audience. Mm-hmm. Did you have any reservations when writing the play? You know, because there were a lot of truths that you put out there and mm-hmm. you knew the audience might not just be for black and brown people. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I didn't have any reservations. And I'm for the most part, I feel like I I try not to lead or work from a place of fear or trepidation. Mm-hmm. I think that's not helpful to the truth of the play. Uh, and um, and I feel like I'm being incredibly respectful to any of the stories and the people that I'm highlighting in the show. Um, but it's about inviting other people into, you know, your world, right? It's like everyone's everyone's welcome to like see, you know, what this world is, um, but have respect, you know, in that world respect these people. And I think it's actually really important for people who are not black or brown, who don't know anything about a hair braiding shop or being in a community of black women mm-hmm. to see a story like that because it humanizes us. There's, you know, we, we know so clearly like that we are just, we are a monolith to so many people, regardless of how many TV shows and movies and, and, and songs and, and books that are out there about how diverse even we are as a people, we are still 
painted with the same brush in so many ways to so many people. And I think um, walking into this space, it's a play that's largely a comedy. So you're laughing, you're having a good time. Like you mentioned, these women were having a good time. And then at the end, they feel, I hope, I hope this like deep, empathy, you know, for these women, not sympathy, that they feel it in their core. They spend 90 minutes falling in love with these wonderful characters, you know, laughing with them, you know, um, feeling their pain, their hurt. And then at the same time now feel the like heartbreak of their story and walk out of there knowing that the next time they pass the hair braiding lady on the street, they're going to feel a completely different emotion to them than they ever have experienced before. And that's the importance, I think, of art, of theater. You know, you 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 can draw in audiences who, you know, may may never encounter exactly. this. And, and I feel like you're making know. me tear when you say that because I like I said, my mindset has shifted now when I see them on if I see them on the street, you know, if I see a breeder, you know, and I'm like, my perspective has totally changed as a black woman. Like, no, like I am more considerate of your time. Um, And I feel like that for me was my takeaway, you know, and I love that you said empathy because there is a difference between empathy and sympathy. And these women do not need your sympathy, anyone's sympathy, but to know that there is a consideration in the sense of care that you have for the work that they do, not like, oh, I'm going to look fly, I'm going to look good. No, like, this yeah. is an effort. And I mean, it's a kind of, an, and it's like, this is like an on-call kind of situation too, right? I mean, you know, we think of doctors or, you know, in that way where you're like, oh my God, some emergency has happened and, you know, you need to go to the doctor. And of course, that is very serious as well, you know, but- uh, or not as well, just serious, period. But in this case, like some, you know, you, this is on call. You walk, you, you walk in and you're like, I want this. And you hold up a picture of whomever. And that could be, yeah, a girl you saw on Instagram whose braids you really like. Or, you know, in one case, in like I highlight in the play, a celebrity. And you're like, make me look like <laughs> this person today. And you're like, what? And these women have to like, figure out how to do that on the spot. It's unbelievable, you know, that you can even do that. Uh, And then the ones who can, you know, and I kind of highlight the ones who kind of aren't as good at doing that and how they, or maybe have lost their touch because of, you know, the years of work, the pain, you know what I mean? And like what that ends up doing to them and, you know, to their livelihood, you know, when it comes to making money. So I wanted to highlight all of that uh, in the play as well. And you did it so well. You did it incredibly well. And I know you didn't do this alone, right? You had an incredible cast who felt every, you could feel every emotion from the words that they spoke. Um, This production, this set, oh my gosh, like, you know, to my listeners, please go and see it. The set is so mesmerizing. I mean, it was like that intro and everyone just clapped because, yeah. oh my God, yes. <laughs> um, and directed by a phenomenal person, Whitney. And yeah. then you have the braid, the hair, the braids. 
Yeah, the wig design. About the um, where the inspiration for the hair came into place. Well, we work with, we're working with and blessed to work with an incredible um, hair and wig designer, uh, Nakia Mathis. And, you know, this play, unlike other plays of mine, um, where you, you know, I write the play and then I work with a director, we get some actors together, we do some readings and we kind of develop the play over over time. And that's kind of all you need until you get a production and then you bring in like a sound designer and a set designer and costume designer and you kind of put everything together. Because of the intricacy of these braids and because of the way the show is structured, I actually needed to bring in Nakia and her expertise and her work early into the process because I was like, how am I going to, you know, <laughs> I want somebody who's going to be getting micro braids done in this play. The play is only 90 minutes <laughs> and we know that micro braids can take anywhere from eight to 12 hours. Exactly. How can we make an eight to 12 hour hairstyle happen in 90 minutes, you right. know? And that is work that I had to do with her, you know, very early on, because it's like if it was impossible, then we wouldn't, you know, be able to make it. We wouldn't be able to do the play. Right. You know, things like that. People who, you know, this play is also in timestamps. Every single scene is a different time in the day. So if somebody's coming in at um, 12 p.m. and yeah. then their hair is done by three or four o'clock, how can a style but we don't have those four hours in the play, right? So how can we get a style to be done? And so she, and I wanted it to feel like a magic trick. You know, there's some plays you go to see like Harry Potter where it's obviously magic, you yeah. know what I mean? Obviously doing, you know, with wands and stuff yeah. like that, actually doing that. In the case of this play, I wanted it to feel like a magic trick. I wanted the audience to be like, wait, how did her braids get done like that? Yeah. And when did it happen? When did that happen? When, how did I miss it? You know? Uh, and, and I wanted it to feel that way. I wanted the characters, you know, there's people who also play multiple characters in the play. Yes. Uh, I wanted them to leave the stage and then come back in as a new character, you know, minutes later. Right. And you're like, how did that, how, how did, and they look completely different how i wanted all of that to feel like a magic trick and uh so it, it really took a lot of work working with um all of these designers but particularly hair costumes and of course my brilliant director whitney white you know who made it all come together yeah, yeah. i mean i literally i was like okay you're not gonna trick me i need to pay attention to these micro lanes and while you know <laughs> at one point the music was going on i was like no i can't watch them dance i want to see this micro lanes. i want to see how they're continuing because it was like a flash yeah absolutely right you you nailed it like the whole team nailed it so shout out to y'all do you feel like this is the perfect timing for you to bring this play to life especially as women are embracing their natural hair they're rocking it they're they're loving it do you feel like this could this is working now as opposed to let's say 10 years ago you know, yes and no. Yes, because I think the conversation about Black women, our hair, you know, the various styles and ways in which we care for it and wear it are 
uh, really present now in a way that like white people are actually aware of yeah. uh, and even aware of like, don't touch it. You know, even that was something that maybe 10 years ago, they didn't really fully understand. Yeah. So I think that in, in that case, yes, because like the we our culture, who we are, our hair is really at the center and forefront in a way that it's never been before. At the same time, I feel like 10 years ago, this would have been an incredible educator, you mm-hmm. know, so many people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's never too late to highlight stories of these women. Uh, 10 years ago, this story wouldn't have been any different with the exception of it was pre-Trump. And, you know, uh, there's, you know, light mention of uh, not necessarily him, but of his ideologies that he brought into the forefront, right. um, especially because the play centers on immigration. Uh, I think even what Trump's ideologies and 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 his followers, there was only kind of like one portrait of mm-hmm. who the immigrant was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's kind of all people really center on is like just these immigrant, yeah. this one particular sect and group of people that he was focused on. And I think our, this play really highlights that there's a lot of different kinds of immigrants. There are a lot of different people and uh, there it's not just this one group. You know, there's a, hu- a huge, large community um of immigrant people who are all coming here with a dream and are not all criminals or not all, you know, exactly. uh, exactly. They're trying to come here and have a better life. Um, And that American dream. Yes. Yes. Whatever that dream is to them, they Mm -hmm. want that here. And uh, highlighting what that is and, and giving um, face and value to those people is important um, because we all know what happens when you just kind of paint one group of people with the same brush. Yep. We we all know what happens, and that we read about it unfortunately every day in the news. Exactly. And, um, that was important to add a different context um, to that in this play. Got it. So how? did you get Taraji P. Henson as a producing partner? <laughs> Magic. Um, um, <laughs> that seems to know, be the theme of this play. You know, no, you know, both Whitney and I have both, uh, both worked with Taraji um, in the last few years on developing a couple of projects. Cause she also is an, you know, of course she's an incredible actress, um, but she's also, also has a production company and has been developing um, work in film and TV and has not ventured into theater. At the same time, she also started, you know, TPH, her um, hair care line and hair and skin care line. And uh, which is incredibly successful, wonderful products, actually. And, you know, was uh, so the fit of like bringing this play to her, letting her know that we're looking for, uh, you know, another producer to come on board and be with us on this between the hair care line and, you know, uh, her already coming into producing. It just felt like a really good fit. What I didn't know, actually, that she shared with us later on in the process is that uh, before she found success as an actress, she was en route to becoming um, a hairstylist and had gotten her cosmetology license and was going to like 
you know, start stumbling here. And it just so happened that, you know, her acting career slowly started taking off and she just put it in the back burner. But she, you know, she was like, there's another version of Taraji's life where she would have just been an incredible hairstylist. You know, probably a hairstylist to the stars. Right. right. It's considering how she excels at everything she does. But yeah, yeah, she was going to be working on Black women's hair. That is fascinating. And I think it's even more fascinating how things come in full circle. Yeah. And so it just, it felt really like, and I said, and I made a joke. I was like, oh my God, you're in Didi, you know, because there's an actress. (laughs) Yes. There's a character in the play, you know, who, you know, very comically has a breakout moment where we learned that she was like essentially en route to be a Nollywood star, but chose to, you know, braid hair and make money and, you know, is maybe potentially we'll go back to it, but like, you also learned that these women had these other lives. It wasn't just braiding hair. They had other dreams and goals and aspirations. And um, so, yeah, the fact that Taraji has that as part of her story uh, was fascinating to us. And she's been incredible. She's been incredible. I think it is too. And I like that nod that you did to that character too, as well. Yeah. Um, so I want to, tell our listeners something about you that they may not have known about you is that you kind of got your feel of acting when you were in high school, right? Yeah. Lion King, playing Mm -hmm. a Lion King role. Um, Can you talk about that feeling when you first went on stage, right? And if you still have that feeling now as a writer? Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, That feeling I had on stage was like, wow, the magic and the power of art that people can be so moved and feel so many emotions um, and and joy from something you've done, you've performed in, uh, you've, in in my case, have written in, written, excuse me, that people can feel this just range of emotion and love and and heartbreak and reliving their own stories and inspired by the story from art. I just found that moment was like so powerful. And I never wanted to forget that when I, at least when I was, you know, a little 16 year old, you know, doing my 10 minute you know, reduce, <laughs> you know, a reduced version of the Lion King. And I played Rafiki and I just was like, this is, <laughs> you know, the roar of the audience. We got like a really long standing ovation. And, you know, it was just like, it, it was high school stakes, of course, but yep. it, it felt really good. And I think in this case now, flash forward so many years uh, on Broadway, you know, we, we did the first night of the show um last Tuesday and hearing like the roar of the crowd, the audience, the way people felt, you know, is a really powerful thing. There's it's rare, you know, we just live in such a depressing world. There's just so much, you know, you're mm-hmm. scared to open up your phone because you don't know what news yes. story is going to be awaiting you, you know? It's like every day that there that someone hasn't, you know, been murdered or or some crazy political thing is not happening, you're kind of like, whew, okay. But like those days are very rare and few. So to be able to bring people into a space, sit in a room for 90 minutes, however long your you know work is, 
and that they all have this collective, wonderful experience and that they laugh and they cry, they feel things. They maybe go home and want to call their parents, make up with someone, make up with a friend, whatever it is. Um, that I don't take that for granted mm-hmm. at all, especially in the art form of theater. You know, mm-hmm. you can go to a movie, you can watch a movie at home, you can watch a TV show at home. Theater is like, you got to get up, get in the train, a car, whatever, buy a ticket, go to this space and commit to it for the yeah. next two, three hours, you know? And getting people to do that is hard now, especially post-COVID. So I don't take it for granted at all. And um it's a feeling I will, as long as people care about my work, I will continue to chase that feeling. I love it. I love it. And can we talk about that? It's sold out this week. Okay. So <laughs> people are committed to Jaja's African hair rating. They yeah. are they are loving it. I want to shift gears to our speed round. This is where I ask, ask guests a series of multiple choice questions. They do not know what these questions are, but they have one time to plead the fifth. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. I'm Let's ready. Let's go, Jocelyn. Knotless or microlinks? Knotless. Okay. Plays or movies? Oh, come on. Um, I I'll, say plays. I'll say plays. I'll say okay. plays. Okay. The best hair braiders live in Brooklyn or Harlem? Oh, man. I'm going to say Harlem because, look, I'm a, I'm a Manhattan girl, so I'm going to say Harlem. The first <laughs> thing you like to do in the morning? Oh, get on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awful, but it's true. Listen, it's, this is your truth. It's true. I do. I do. You do your scrolling. I do my scrolling. Yeah. Your favorite quote to live by. This could be your own personal or maybe something that you've seen. It's not not my own personal, but it's my quote um, that I I go by for my my work. And it's comedy is just a funny way of being serious. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Your must go to for hair products. Uh, well, most recently, TPH, because like the stuff is good, you know, um, but I also really love uh, Shea Moisture mm. and um, Carol's Daughter. OK, now you're making me want to go look up Taraji's products now. <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> Your last play or musical that you went to see? Oh, well, aside from my own, um, well, it was quite some time ago and I believe it was Anne Juliet. I think that's the last musical I saw. It was it's on remember? I'm sorry? You remember what year? It was it was this year. It was this okay. year. It was only a few months ago. I just had a baby. So oh, um, yes, yeah, I was trying to jam in all the plays and musicals I could before the baby came. So well, this baby's um, gonna come out like a star. Yeah. <laughs> boy or girl? It's a boy, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Who is the first actor or actress on Broadway or off Broadway that gave you goosebumps? Charlene Woodard is her name. Um, and uh, it's really a tie. It's really Charlene Woodard and um, Viola Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, Charlene Wooden wrote the first play. She wrote and starred in the first play I ever starred in in high school called Pretty Fire. Mm-hmm. And I just thought she was amazing. I just, I just, I still do. I still do. I just look at her and I'm like, she's just an incredible artist. I just love her. Yeah. Love it. What playwright or would you trade places with? It could be from the past. Not from the past. She's very much living now and still, and she's a living legend and she's doing her thing. Um, Her name is Lynn Nottage and she is truly the most incredible playwright ever. She's the only Black woman to have two Pulitzer Prizes in her plays. And um, she just, every every single one of her plays is just incredible. And I'm actually very honored that I can call her a friend. I can actually write, text her and email her. Like, she's incredible. Um, And she's just paved the way for so many of us uh, Black women playwrights. I love it. If you didn't write, what would you do? If I didn't write, I guess I'd still be pursuing acting. So I still would be in the way. And I still am. I still act, but just not as much as I write. Um, but if I wasn't involved in the arts at all, I think I would be an event planner. Oh. I think I would be a really good event planner. Okay. Because I'm, I'm type A. <laughs> You like to get things done. You okay. like have the vision. Organized, leaves no stone unturned. Yes. Okay. Who's showing up at six <laughs> to be here at six to make sure that the stuff is ready for seven? Like I am that chick. Yeah. From one type A to another, I get it. Okay. <laughs> I get it. Now, we finished. We finished our speed round. She did not plead the fifth whatsoever. She did not. Can you tell us, last question, what's next? Is it the Tonys? Are we putting oh. it there for you? Okay, yes. Look, from your lips to uh, the to God's ears, I mean, like, yes, I would love that for us. I think right now I'm just really excited to get in as many audiences as possible um, to have a really successful run of the show. I would love for the show to extend. Right now we're only running until the end of October, yeah. October 29th to be specific, but we could possibly extend all the way through December if the show continues to do well. So that is my hope. And if the Tonys um, are in our future, even better. But um, right now I just want every audience member I can to come and see the show. And they will. Jocelyn, <laughs> thank you so much. You are demonstrating Black girl magic. You oh, are showcasing Black women, immigrant women. That, And I think how important our crowns are. And mm. so thank you so much for doing that. I can't wait to see your next show, your next production. Like, I'm a fan. <laughs> you're in the New York City area, please make your way to Jaja's African Hair Braiding located at the Manhattan Theater Club in Midtown. The play is running through October 29th, but we're going to put it out there because it's going to run to the end of the year because <laughs> all you are going to see it. Okay. And so in the words of the fabulous Jocelyn Bio, comedy is just a funny way of being serious. Until next time. Bye.
Mm-hmm. <laughs> 